Welcome to Malicious Mamas, a show that brings you tales of terrifying females from lore, legend, and everything in between. I'm your host, Nikki Mandiola. This week's episode was one of my favorites to research way back at the start of Mamas in 2017. Although I had spent the majority of my academic free time in college taking history, particularly feminist history courses, I had yet to come across the feminist take regarding this week's Mama until my research began. It makes complete sense why second-wave feminists use the snake-haired creature's persona to discuss rape culture as well as the male gaze in literature as a whole. With this in mind, this show will do what we've always done in explaining the origins of the legend and further tales, but I think it's important to look at these feminist theories which will be present at the end of the episode. Without further ado, let's get down to it. This week's topic is Medusa. Ancient Greek representation of Medusa described her as a creature born to a family of monstrous beings. As one of the Gorgon sisters, female-winged monsters, she was born to Phorcus and Cato, who were the children of Gaia, Earth, and Oceanus, the ocean. Of the three sisters in total, the others named Steno and Uriel, Medusa was the only mortal. She had the body of a dragon, hair made of snakes, and the power to turn whoever gazed into her eyes, usually men, into stone. Early Greek writers placed Medusa's home on the island of Serpadon, where she lived until her death. Base painters in ancient Greece depicted Medusa as a monstrous being, and it wasn't until the 5th century that these depictions changed to show her as both beautiful and terrifying. Roman poet Ovid was responsible for altering Medusa's story and explained her human life pre-snake-haired monster transformation. In this tale, Medusa was a golden-haired beauty who was the recipient of many suitors. Poseidon, god of the sea, decided to take her as his own, and, in doing what he pleased as a god, brought Medusa to the temple of Athena, where he raped her. Enraged that her temple had been defiled, Athena punished not Poseidon, but Medusa, changing this once beautiful woman into a fear-inducing monster, cursed to turn anyone who looked upon her into stone. Another less hard-to-swallow tale portrayed her as a beautiful maiden who devoted her life as a priestess to the goddess Athena. Because of this, Medusa had taken a vow of celibacy. Love struck this priestess in the form of Poseidon, and disregarding her oath to Athena, the pair married. Insulted, the goddess punished Medusa in the worst manner she knew how, by stripping away her beguiling beauty. Each glistening lock of her hair was turned into a venomous snake, her once charming eyes became red, soulless orbs, and her porcelain skin developed a greenish tinge. Medusa was forced to flee her home and live in exile, as whoever locked eyes with her was cast into stone. Keeping in mind that Medusa is still a part of the Gorgon sisters, who live together in exile in most tales, this leads us to a story of her demise. Ruler of the island nation of Seraphos, King Polydectes desired to marry Danae, the mother of one of his subjects named Perseus. Her son, now a grown man, was very protective of his mother, so Polydectes knew that it would be impossible to wed Danae with Perseus around. Persistent in his wishes, the king developed a plan to rid Perseus from the island. A royal decree was announced to the public that Polydectes was to marry a woman named Hippodamia and required that each man on the island was to provide a gift suitable of this union. Perseus watched as each of his companions were able to provide horses to the king, and, unable to do so himself, he failed to provide a gift of equal grandeur. 
At this confession, Polydectes insisted that only the head of Medusa would suffice as a gift, and Perseus, who had previously claimed to be up to the task of beheading a Gorgon, was sent from the kingdom. On his way out, the king proclaimed that the warrior would not be able to return without his prize. Aware of Polydectes' plan, the gods provided help to Perseus in the form of weapons. Bestowed a mirrored shield from Athena, gold-winged sandals from Hermes, a sword from Hephaestus, and a helm of invisibility from Hades, he set out toward the Gorgon lair. While all the creatures slept, Perseus used the shield to capture Medusa's reflection in order to avoid her gaze. In the end, Perseus beheaded Medusa, and from her neck sprung the winged horse Pegasus and the giant Chrysor. Although no longer attached to her body, Medusa's power was still strong, so her head was placed in a sack to prevent an accidental stoning. Infuriated by their sister slaying, Sleno and Uriel pursued Perseus to no avail. When he returned to Seraphos, Perseus found that his mother, who had been abused by the king in his absence, had taken refuge in a temple. Outraged, he made his way to the throne room, where Polydectes and his consorts were surprised to see him alive. The king was skeptical that Medusa had been slain, which prompted Perseus to reveal her uncovered head, turning each of the members in court to stone. Before you go believing that Perseus was some kind of hero for this action, in Ovid's telling, where Medusa was captured and raped by Poseidon, Perseus goes on to say that her punishment was just and well-deserved. Here, I like to reveal that under this note in my research, I wrote, same shit, different century. This leads us to the feminist theories regarding Medusa's story and visage. Second-wave feminist writers and poets such as Sylvia Plath, Mae Starton, Anne Stanford, and Helen Sixes dove into the male-generated assumptions around the use of Medusa's image. As a snake-haired demonic monster, Medusa incites fear in the hearts of men, and instead of viewing her story as a victim, she's looked upon as a being who must be defeated. Knowing this, her image has been used multiple times throughout history as propaganda against female powers, such as Marie Antoinette, and while rallying for the right to vote in the United States, suffragettes. Poets of second-wave feminism used her story to discuss the silencing of sexual assault victims, which was plainly shown through the tale of Perseus's confession in Athena's Curse. The Laugh of Medusa by Helen Sixis promoted a new way of thinking and writing in regards to women in literature. In this, she states that there is no typical woman, but that what women all have in common is a history of exclusion and limited visibility. All this was used to take back the story and image of Medusa, which to this day is still used as a way to demonize women in power. Although her tale is clearly one of suppression, most scrutinize this creature as the most horrid form of female imagery. So the next time you encounter Medusa's snake-covered face, perhaps you may no longer view her as a monster, but rather a victim of society. On that note, let's conclude this episode. If you have any suggestions on mamas you'd like me to cover, or a spooky tale to share, please send an email to maliciousmamas at gmail.com. If you're looking for more mamas in your life, follow Malicious Mamas on Instagram. Also, if you could rate, review, and subscribe to Malicious Mamas on your favorite podcast app, it would really help the show find other spooky tale lovers as yourself, and I would greatly appreciate the feedback. Until next time, keep it real, mamas.